there are a lot of highly competent humans who still don't feel confident. So we sometimes do have to push ourselves and swing and be courageous. And so we have to mix courage into the equation as well. Hi guys, we're your hosts Jillian and Kaylin, and this is Teach Me How to Adults, a podcast on all the things you never learned growing up, like how to buy a home, manage stress, crush your love life, land your dream job, and how to love yourself more, because we could all be a little kinder to ourselves. We're still figuring out how to get our shit together, so we're calling in the experts and the hustlers for some real talk and legit tips on how to live your best life. Adulting isn't easy, but we got you. Hi friends, today's episode is such a good one. It's honestly the motivation, the therapy, and the action plan that we didn't even realize we needed. We're chatting with Komal Minhas about how to realize your own potential and conquer any of those limiting beliefs that are holding you back so you can start believing in your damn self. Hell yes, we are. And whether you're burnt out at work and looking to design a life with more balance and intentionality, or you're ready to pursue big goals and gain the confidence and the mindset skills to shoot your shot in business or in your passions, this episode has something to help everybody. Totally, because a lot of us have dealt with those unhelpful narratives and beliefs that just keep us playing small. We've all dealt with challenges that require resilience and a growth mindset to get through. And a lot of us have felt like our hard work and success has to cost us our mental or physical health. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I'm sure everyone can relate to that. And today's episode is all about how to tap into your potential, get out of your own way, and design a path forward that actually works for you. And we we really needed this one. Oh yeah, we are in it. We are going through our own journeys right now. And for me, it's job hunting and just wanting to find a really meaningful next career that you know allows me to spend time with my family still and work on my hobbies and passions. And then also just find community in my new life here in Vancouver. So it's a lot. There's a lot of emotions. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a lot of the advice that you guys are going to hear in this episode like resonate especially for Kaylin because a lot of it is about like counting on your community and building that and yeah. finding meaning as much as you can and fulfillment in in what you do and and tapping into that potential. I know for me it really helped me understand some of the limiting beliefs that are holding me back because mm-hmm. I am kind of at a crossroads in my career trying to figure out whether to expand the creative business offerings that I have and whether to kind of like build an agency or there's a lot of different ways I can move forward and I think I'm keeping myself on one track convincing myself I can't you know start a business and like handle the finances and handle like the business world and be the salesperson for my business and all of those things but this was like the pep talk that I needed to know the only thing standing in our way is usually ourselves. It's ourselves. It's totally it's true. <laughs> and we, yeah, we get into all of this in the episode, but we have both identified those like narratives and fears. And we've both talked so many times about how we do feel like we just want more out of our lives. And there's something mm-hmm. greater that we want to do. There's something greater that we want to pursue. And maybe not everyone spends time dwelling on that feeling that like gnaws away at them but but we do and we got some really helpful tips on how to pursue that in the episode without sacrificing our sanity and thanks to Komal at least we know that is possible now it totally is possible but we are not the experts so we called in Komal Minhas Komal is an executive coach business strategist interviewer and resilience educator who coaches people to build successful businesses while improving their well-being and mastering their mindset. She's an investor and entrepreneur who has overcome great adversity to accomplish so many incredible things in her life. Her journey is insane. You guys are going to be so inspired. 
Yeah, her story has given me chills. It's incredible. From landing a spot on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list and screening her film at the Obama's White House to gracing magazine covers, interviewing legends like Glennon Doyle and Michelle Obama. Like, I would die. That's incredible. Right there. And now she's penning her own column for Fortune Magazine, which is so, so, so amazing. And you might already know her from her inspiring Instagram account, which offers just so many so many helpful insights or from her amazing podcast lessons learned teach us how to realize our potential and believe in our damn selves Comal. thank you so much for being here with us today Comal. we are so excited to talk to you we're such big fans of you we first saw you speak at a conference I think it was gem conference or atelier yeah. collective and we were just so amazed by you and have just been following along ever since but you have such an incredible story it literally gave us chills I cried when I watched one of your videos that, that walked everyone through what you've been through it's it's really beautiful so we would love if you could share with our listeners a bit about your journey from the highs and successes that you experienced in 2016 to the health struggles you overcame and how they led you to where you are now Absolutely. I mean, quite a journey. In 2016, I had the opportunity to create a documentary film and co-create a documentary film called Dream Girl, a film about ambitious women entrepreneurs from in and around New York City with my co-founder, Aaron Bagwell. And we had the opportunity at that time, it was pre a very big push to women entrepreneurship. We were right at the front end of this movement that we're not all now very much immersed in and able to critique and assess and, you know, be much more intersectional in our approach about And during that time, we were named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list for our work on the film and our impact through the movement that Dream Girl um, had sparked around it and premiered our film at the Obama White House uh, in May of 2016 as well, which was an incredible, incredible feat. At the time, it was the last few months of the Obama administration. But simultaneously, I had been diagnosed with a rare form of skin cancer. And um, the same week we were named to Oprah's Super Soul 100 list, I had been diagnosed. The same month we um, had gone to the White House for the premiere, I had just recovered from my first surgery. It was my first pain-free day when we were in D.C. And this sort of juxtaposition of the ups and downs of that time as a 26 and 27-year-old was devastating and so wild to process and go through because it's a time in our lives when we should be thriving, when we should be hustling, when we should be going all in without having such intense happenings happening. Um, But Mm -hmm. what I came to learn quickly was that I wasn't alone in the struggle that I was going through. Someone going through cancer at the time, eventually a cancer survivor, and also just from a psycho-emotional standpoint, the 20s are a very difficult period of time, but it really showed me what I was capable of surviving, and also what humans are capable of surviving. So after my time at Dream Girl, my co-founder and I also had a really complicated relationship. Um, I realized after that I had experienced gaslighting, I had experienced manipulation in that relationship. And so as I was recovering both from the physical and emotional uh, difficulties I had been through um, in 2017 and into 2018, I kind of realized that there are key ways that we as human beings can be resilient, can overcome from difficult things, can move through uh, adversity. And it wasn't until the pandemic started that I really was able to dive into the research on positive psychology and resiliency and match my lived experience and the lived experience of the hundreds of other people that I have been able to interview in my career as an interviewer with um, the research that I got to dive into all those 
for those few years, those last few years. So it really informed how I got to where I am today. There's been highs since then of being able to interview Michelle Obama on her Canadian book tour in 2019, right before the pandemic. When I tell you it gave me so much fuel for my life right now, I would not be lying. But what I really, really love to help and support other people in doing is to maximize and unleash their own potential while staying rooted in their well-being and the reality of their lives um, and show them through research that is usually just behind the walls of academia how they can truly level up in their life and work and stay well along the way so that we can really change the systems that we live in. What an incredible journey and I think it's enabled you to give people something that's so lacking which is to see ambitious people with big dreams and big goals who can still also prioritize themselves and take care of themselves and have mental wellness still be at the forefront of the conversation. It's, it's really powerful and we all need it. So thank you for what you do. It's been such a journey and it's one that I'm so grateful to be able to contribute to. It's hard to see when we're in the midst of our pain, how we can transform it into our power. And when I first heard that, I wanted to like smack someone in the face when they're like, turn your pain into your power. And I was like, you turn your pain into your power. But all these years later, um, and it feels fitting to be on how to adult talking about this. It's part of adulting is looking at the journey that we've had and saying, what are the lessons I've learned from this? And how do I apply them in a way that can help others in the future? Because then it does make um, what we've been through matter in a different way. Wow. Yeah, that's such a powerful part of what Kaylin and I have learned about resilience this past few years is like, how can you take your life from a place of it's just happening to me and I have no control Mm -hmm. over it to a place of things are happening to me, but what can I now turn them into? And so that's like a very powerful place to get to. Yeah, and I I think a lot of people are, are struggling too with limiting beliefs. And I'm sure throughout your coaching business, you probably come among that with some of your clients. So what are some common limiting beliefs that you see holding people back? And how can we push through those unhelpful narratives and just get out of our own way? Something I've noticed a lot for specifically children of immigrants, and even more specifically South Asian women that I think applies for a lot of folks, is actually just this limiting belief that I'm not smart enough, or I can't figure it out. And I do Mm -hmm. think it is a patriarchal construct that is projected onto women and those who come from marginalized identities, um, more and historically underrepresented folks in particular, where we have been conditioned to believe that we're possibly not good with money. And this is a broad strokes. Not everybody in these in with these identities feel this way, but I certainly have. And clients that I've worked with certainly have. I'm not good with money. I don't know how to figure out spreadsheets. Sales and marketing is a really tough thing for me. These aren't things that I can necessarily figure out. But a key part of the resiliency research, we call them the seven C's of resilience. And it's a framework that's actually applied mostly to like youth and teenagers. But I love to use it because we're all still healing our inner children. So there's it's always still relevant. But two of them are competence and confidence. So competency, the more we become competent in a space, the more our confidence builds. So for me, for example, learning how to read a profit and loss sheet, learning how to forecast in my business, learning how to build monthly recurring revenue in my business. This is something that really has built my confidence as um, 
as a partner in my family, as a future parent, I hope, as someone who needs to take care of the livelihoods of others, um, and taking care of myself and rewiring my brain to know that I can be financially competent, if not financially abundant, and I am smart, and these are things I can figure out. So I absolutely see my clients navigating this limiting belief in particular about our intelligence. And the mindset yeah. work around that is to just show your brain repeatedly the things you've accomplished, the things you've achieved, to keep learning and growing and immersing yourself in education and to keep practicing and trying, especially in realms that feel hard. Because as we outsource these things in our business or our life to financial advisors, to part-time CFOs, that's great. But if at the fundamental level, we still feel unworthy of that thing or like we can't figure it out, then it's going to keep holding us back. So building in an educational component to that part of our lives will help us make more money. So I'm not smart enough and I can't figure out money or two major limiting beliefs that I love to help my clients and audience work through. Oh, that's such a good point. And I love the idea of combating that with education because then really you're fighting fiction with fact. If you've educated yeah. yourself, if you have like a track record of, okay, maybe I didn't start off knowing this, but now I do. I've done the work. I've educated myself. I've done it many times. I book kept for the past few months. I've you know done these things I didn't think I could do. So now you can fight that narrative in your mind with proof of your ability to do it. It's, it creeps in without you even realizing as you were saying that it dawned on me that this business that I've been wanting to start because I'm a freelancer. And so I, I work with different companies, um, develop their content, but I do it just as an individual. And so there's a big part of me that has wanted to build it out into an agency model and into more of an entrepreneurship role. And what always holds me back is, well, I'm not going to be good at the financials. I'm like never on time with payments. I'm really bad at logistics. I'm not the tech person. Like there's no way I can do this. And then I'm going to spend all this time trying to figure out how to do something that I'm bad at. But Hmm. applying your logic makes so much sense because if I just did a bit of work up front to tackle those issues and educate myself, then it wouldn't hold me back and I could, you know, unlock a next level of potential probably. But instead I'm just burying myself in this story that like, I'm not, I'm not a business person. I'm a creative person. So I can't make my creativity a business. I'm sure a lot of people, especially women have that narrative, I bet, because women and creativity and all of these incredible soft skills that we're generally made to believe we're, we're great at, can then make us feel like we're not good at the other things like the money mm. and the business and the, the tech. And something that we can help our ourselves reframe is our creativity actually is a powerful asset when it comes to our money, when it comes to sales and marketing, because what is a pitch? A pitch is a story. A pitch is a way yeah, that we mm -hmm. get to tell the world about who we are and, and the service that we're offering that will help the person in front of us. Empathy, soft skills, conversation. And along the way with the education is the accountability and support. So this is why I'm such a proponent of advisors or coaches to help us through these things. Because especially as you, for you, Jill, as you're starting this freelance business, in your mind, it can feel so lonely around the financial aspect of it, logistics, mm -hmm. paying things on time, but things like softwares to automate it, things like humans to help keep you accountable um, can make it more yeah. fun and to celebrate sales goals and metrics with new clients being onboarded, um, new, new colleagues you'll have in the agency. So how can we make the process more fun? And there's a... a uh, a note to this as well with competence leads to confidence. There are a lot of highly competent humans who still don't feel confident. So we sometimes do have to push ourselves and swing and be courageous. 
And so we have to mix courage into the equation as well, because we can bury our heads in books and education and still hold ourselves back, even though we are competent enough and could technically have the confidence enough to do it. But we need to mix courage into that equation as well. That reminds me, um, we just did an episode with Emily, the recruiter. She's a, a fabulous career coach. And she was telling us, I think the stats were something like 80% of men will apply for a job they're underqualified for because they just have the confidence to do so. And I remember when I heard that, I was just like, okay, you know what? I'm currently on the job hunt. I was like, you know what? I'm going to apply. You need what? 15 years experience? I got 10. Let's try it anyways. And you know, it's it's landed me some interviews that I didn't think I would have ever had, pardon my French, but I think it works, the balls to apply for. So it's interesting that that you say, yeah, that it's, it's predominantly women that kind of hold themselves back. And, you know, there's no reason for me not to apply for these jobs other than limiting beliefs in my head that are telling me not to do it. So and that society has projected onto you because we're not alone. And like, I think yeah. that's part of like the difficulty of this is we think we're the only ones. No, we are part of the larger right. statistic. There are now so many studies <laughs> coming out that are showing us this, not to make it like, not to be like, oh, this is normal and okay. No, it is yeah. where we are at right now. And we get to be right. part of changing it. Um, so mm -hmm. swinging and, and applying to those jobs, we don't feel qualified. What's the worst case scenario? They're going to say no. You'll reapply when you have more experience or you'll be working exactly. somewhere else because you swung. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The courage is such a big piece. I, I really love that. And I think a lot of times we, we don't even realize our full potential because it takes a bit of courage to even allow yourself to imagine what you could do and to swing at it. And it's scary. But we love that you've said that your mission is to help reflect to people their own potential. And that's like, we all need that. We, we all need yeah. someone in our life to do that. And so many of us are just kind of walking through life with untapped potential and not betting on ourselves, not realizing what we could achieve. So how, this is a big question, but how can people start to realize their potential when low self-esteem or imposter syndrome might be holding them back from seeing it? So there's this con concept in positive psychology call and across psychology called self-efficacy. So it's our belief in ourselves that we can do hard things. And when it comes to a question like this, you know, we hear some anecdotal or qual like qualitative re ways to build our confidence, but there's actual research behind this, which is just music to my ears because my analytical brain won't buy in um, to some of the other stuff without knowing that it's been researched and studied and all these things. And so self-efficacy is this concept that was named by a man named Albert Bender. And there's five key ways that we can actually build this belief in ourselves that we can do hard things. I'll share a couple of them here today. So one of them is actually something called verbal persuasion. So it is surrounding yourself with the people who see your potential, your hype humans, I like to call them. Who are the people you can call who can lift you up when you're feeling like shit? Who are the people who can remind you of who the fuck you are? Who are the people who are in yes. your corner who know your big goals and dreams and can remind you of them on your lowest days that you can text when you need that little bump? I have multiple group chats of people who I like to reach out to when I'm feeling low or just need to drop a voice note if because I'm feeling like I'm being hard on myself. I get to do this for my clients. We have our Voxer access where they just get to tell me when shit's hitting the fan and I get to remind them of what they're capable of, what they've achieved. So verbal persuasion is a huge one. This can be friends, family members, coaches, advisors, therapists, um, anyone that you trust that you have access to that can remind you of who you are. So another way that you can do this is something called vicarious experiences. So when we're in our problem set, when we're navigating what we're working through, 
we can sometimes just feel overwhelmed because we haven't seen someone else do it before. But I ask you to challenge that assumption because there are so many stories of people doing a version of what you're doing. And so research podcasts, find movies with a hero's journey that makes you feel motivated. I always come back to Legally Blonde with this one because anytime I watch Elle Woods go to law school, I'm like, I cannot go to law school, but do the thing that is my version of law school. Um, <laughs> yeah, so yeah, ask yeah. yourself, what content can I be consuming and make your Netflix evening one that's actually going to help motivate you because vicarious experiences mm -hmm. are seeing someone else do the thing and then applying it to your life and saying, if they can do it, I can do it too. So I have a podcast stack that I listen to around folks who are in similar business as me. So I can listen to them, get guidance, get advice, hear about the milestones that they've hit, and then start visualizing myself doing that as well. So these are two key ways. Um, and one that comes back to your own, what you've accomplished yourself is your own expert experiences. So the things that you've done already in your life, the things you've achieved that you just need to put in a list somewhere. So in my Microsoft to-do list, that's what I use for my personal list building in life. I have a list of all of my major accomplishments. I, and I did like once, like two years ago, just wrote them all down in there. And then every time something new happens, I put the year, what happened and how it made me feel. And so I go back to this list mm -hmm. when I feel like shit and I'm like, oh, wait, I did that. I did this. I helped this person. This is something that I, I did two years ago. So if I did these things, then maybe I actually can overcome the challenge in front of me now. And so these are three key ways through um, getting your hype humans lined up, through making your list of content to consume that is a vicarious experiences of people who've overcome what you've overcome or parallel, um, and then your list of the experiences and expertise that you have of the things you've accomplished. So this is the way that I build my own confidence um, and remind myself of who the F I am. And so I always encourage my clients and folks that I talk to to think of these things in a more tactical way um, so that your confidence can be built on like a strong foundation of research backed ways that that this that this is done. That's also so nice because those are such enjoyable strategies. It's not like get out there and hit the pavement. It's like do the things you would normally want, which is surrounding yourself with cheerleaders, consuming content that actually makes you happy and has a purpose in your life you know, tracking your wins, like those are really empowering, enjoyable things, which is so nice because I feel like sometimes it's a tough pill to swallow when it's like, no, you just have to go out there and like walk an hour a day and do this and do this. It's like, no, no, you're going to turn on Netflix tonight. So just choose something yeah, that will actually motivate you. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Instead that's of so Dahmer, great. let's pick something that's going to show us a path forward for feeling great <laughs> about our lives. Please don't be motivated by Dahmer. Yes. I got to um, stop watching Selling uh, Sunset on repeat, <laughs> unless I want to become a real estate agent. I also saw that you had said that it took you a long time to tap into your own potential, which it's it's so interesting when you see people who've done such extraordinary things have the same feelings that we all have because you're like, okay, everyone's going through this. Did one of those processes that you just walked us through like stand out the most for you to help you kind of tap into your potential? I think that when I was at my most recent rock bottom was about a year ago during the pandemic, I like every entrepreneur had to pivot my business, try different things. On this standpoint, founder mental health is disproportionately were hit harder than the general public uh, across the board when it comes to depression, anxiety, rates of suicide, 
period. It's just the financial pressure of it, especially mixed in with a pandemic and it's, it's ripe for mental health issues. And I was not immune to that. So when my depression kicked in, when, you know, thoughts of suicidal ideation kicked in, it was the first time in my life I'd ever navigated something like this. And I had been through cancer. I had survived a neurological illness. I had been in an emotionally abusive relationship with a co-founder. And when it kind of came to a head, it was like everything I'd accomplished to date didn't matter. And when you're in that that state of mind, um, and obviously a trigger warning for those who for whom this is a sensitive conversation, which would have been helpful about two minutes ago, but here we are. But it's really <laughs> such a cave to pull yourself out of. And the biggest factor for me was talking to loved ones about what I was going through. And so my hype humans came out for me, even in the most dire of circumstances. My therapist was there with me the next day. My husband was there with me. Every person that I trusted in my life with that very intimate detail about my what I was going through showed the fuck up. And I'm so grateful for that, but it was absolutely verbal persuasion that helped me see the scale and scope of what I was capable of. It was that support that helped me pivot my business yet again to become the most profitable that it's been in this last 12 months. And it was having the courage to reach out to tell people something was wrong. I'm a resilience educator. This is my job day to day. So my brain was so good at belittling even the research that I had because I taught it every day. It became second nature for me to say it out loud, but to apply it to my own life. I mean, often we're t we, they say we teach what we most need. And in that moment, that was yes, the right. most true thing I could possibly have experienced. And so verbal persuasion was huge. Um, going back to the things that I've overcome and done, absolutely scrolling through my phone, going through past videos of wins, um, finding a coach who I could and a community I could feel really supported by as I dug myself out of my emotional difficulties. Having my therapist there with me was huge. Um, and then vicarious experiences, 100% positive podcasts to listen to new ideas, travel at that time was huge for me, having more fun. So I applied these and more tools to help me come back home to myself and feel feel the gratitude I have now for my life and the life that I had at that time as well. So yeah, I, I apply these skills often and regularly, but I have to come back to my basics of well-being, connection to community I love, routines that serve me, resting and asking for help when I need it with the work that I'm doing. So it's a constant, constant muscle flex when it comes to flexing resiliency. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That I'm so glad that you're on the other side, but that must've been really, really hard to go through. So speaking of the, like the well-being and the importance of, of mental and emotional well-being uh, through that whole journey, we just really love that you teach the importance of balance and pursuing success while also maintaining your health and your well-being. And we're just, honestly, we're just really sick of being sold this hustle culture narrative that to be truly successful, you have to sacrifice your health. You have to have no mental wellness and family and home life. It, like I, I was the number one badge wearer of being at the office till 11 p.m. The lights were turning off in the building when I worked in the magazine industry. And it was like, look at me sacrificing my life for these magazines so they don't go under and working so hard. It's like, fuck that. Like what to what end? I wasn't healthy. I wasn't taking care of myself. And you're out here proving to everyone the need for both to coexist, to, to have success. You also need to take care of yourself. So 
Do you have any advice for how workaholics out there can just start to redefine their relationship with work so that they can also prioritize their well-being? My first would be that if you think you're burnt out, you're probably burnt out or on the road to burnout. (laughs) So if you're even like something's wrong, something's probably wrong. And so knowing that at that point, it's important to intervene in one way or another, whether it's tacking, and this can sound so trivial, but I always think it's a good starting point because it can cultivate space for you to start processing more of where you're at physically, emotionally, the work addiction you might be working through, looking at factors that are making you feel compelled to be so all in with the company that you're with. So this would be tacking on an extra day to a long weekend so that you start using your vacation time planning a vacation in two to three months of a full week off. So you get that full 10 days with the weekends, setting a strong boundary with colleagues, like getting people used to the boundary you're going to set while you're away, meaning evenings are off, weekends are off. Figure out your top three actions that you can take to create more space between you and your work, whether it's, you know, I'm no longer going to be logging in after six, or I take weekends or Um, I go for afternoon walks or I take lunches now. These are small actions and habits that when we build them up over time, become life changers and life savers. Because often when we feel burnt out or disenfranchised in a job because of overwork, our knee-jerk reaction can be to leave because we feel like we've been used. And in some workplaces, we don't have agency to choose that. If we try and push back, leadership pushes back even more, expecting more and more. But we can begin to train those around us about what our boundaries are with work. And if the workplace doesn't reflect back to you that, you can exit. But there are cases in which we haven't even tried setting a boundary and we're blaming, we're blaming the workplace or the system, which is fair. I don't want to diminish that. But perhaps we can try practicing what boundaries look like in certain workplaces before we decide to exit. Because the progress you've made in your career, we don't want to set that aside as well because you've worked so hard. And the burnout can be so, it can make the grass seem so much greener elsewhere when perhaps some small shifts in how we're approaching work and then bigger shifts in the boundaries around work can help us sustain in the career path that we're in to get into those senior leadership positions. This is what I work with with my corporate clients especially. We do a little bit of an assessment to see is it a bit of column A of no, you need to exit, this is a shit culture and company, or is it column B where actually leadership wants to support you, we just need to figure out your wellness and health plan and get you using your vacation days, get you the therapist and coach that you need, get you feeling like alive and purposeful again and helping you find your new you know, major goal in your career and life. So you can keep pushing forward so we can get more women, women of color, um, folks of marginalized identities and historically underrepresented folks into positions of power. Um, So it's a bit of tension between those two things. But the biggest thing would be if you feel even like you're questioning if you're burnt out, you're probably burnt out and there needs to be some sort of intervention. And even I think of one client, she is a senior uh, leader at a major consulting firm in Canada she had to start using her her vacation time and sick time to recover from the burnout that her company put her into. And why aren't we using those vacation days to rest instead of recover from the assault that these companies have committed, like that have continued to put us through when it comes to workloads, expectations, and these different things. 
But if it's not modeled for us, if we're not coached through how to do it, it can feel impossible. So find folks to support you in, you know, staying accountable to the decisions you're making around the boundaries you want, and then also start establishing those boundaries in small, meaningful ways. And if you're still not feeling like it's possible to stay, leave and figure out your bridge to what that means. How much money do you need to save before you exit? What does an exit look like on your terms? Um, And continue forth from there. That is really, really helpful advice. I think you're right. It kind of starts with you to take that accountability to try to see if you can make some change. Quick follow-up question on that. If you are trying to set new boundaries at work, I feel like it could be kind of hard, especially if you've been working at the place for a couple of years, if you're just sort of going to implement a new boundary for yourself and maybe you're worried about you know, how your, your colleagues are going to take that. Do you have any tips for how people could like gently ease into the Kaylin 2.0 at work versus, you know, just coming in hot. (laughs) Yes. So, you know, we hear about quiet quitting um, where we just kind of pull back on all of the intensity of how we are working beyond our job description. So instead of quiet quitting, what I like to just say, you're going to start doing your job on paper. (laughs) Part of it is chronicling. What are you doing above and beyond the job description and writing that all out? So you can take that list of this is what I was hired to do. This is what I'm actually doing to senior leadership and then putting it in front of them and saying there are options for more compensation, but this is also why I'm going to be pulling back because what you're paying me for or what we've outlined is well below what I'm actually doing. Because from an HR perspective, you have you have means around that to have those discussions in meaningful ways. And then that way you're bringing your management leadership on board with you as you're either starting to pull back a little bit. The other aspect to bring to that, depending on your comfort level, depending on what you want to divulge is like, these are the real impacts that it's had on my well-being. I want to stay at this company. And for me to do that, this is what needs to change. So it's you kind of showing them, again, the story, the creative storytelling of what your lived experience actually is, and then getting Mm -hmm. someone senior on board with your work revamp plan and then supporting you in implementing if you have that kind of friendly leadership if not laying it out from an HR perspective so it's documented so you're you're approaching it in this way and then you working with whether it's that senior leader or an external coach on what that plan looks like for shifting so it can be little things like your slack says you're I'm offline at seven and then the net, like two weeks later, it's 645. And then two weeks after that, it's 630. We hear this about like wellness habits of start with a five minute walk or meditation and then build up from there. True. It's a similar approach yeah. at work is like, what's the slow approach to me doing this? So it's not stark. I'm usually available till 9 p.m. Now I'm not available after six. It's yeah, the slow yeah. rollback so that we get to the boundary that feels good to you. And you'll be shocked that like you're modeling this. There's going to be pushback from people because they're going to be like, what the fuck? I'm addicted to work, so you need to stay this way too. Yeah. <laughs> but then there's others who are also going to do the same and show that perhaps in working hours, we can be just as productive because now I'm resting more. I have evenings. So a slow yeah. and steady approach, the leadership in HR buy-in and like showing sort of the discrepancy between what I was hired to do and what I'm actually doing. That also brings up then compensation conversations, which are interesting to have in times like this where the economy can feel kind of stressful. We don't want to rock Mm -hmm. the boat too much. So the slow and steady approach of a longer term strategy for pullback and then incremental change is something I would advise or recommend. I love that. That's so, so helpful. And you hit the nail on the head when you said for anyone who's like 
20 something year old Jill mind frame of like work addict. My work defines me. It's my identity. Like everything else can take a backseat. You, I mean, it should be enough that we just want to take care of ourselves, but you will do a better job and be more productive and more inspired and more creative and show up as a better colleague if you're taking care of yourself when all of the pieces are in place you're optimal i often i've had put this on instagram a few months ago and it was you know it feels so sad to see folks who like are working to sacrifice their life when at the end of the day the life they didn't have is what they're going to regret more than the hours they worked and so yeah. how do we help rebalance that part of our brains like we are in a capitalist system Productivity is shoved down our throat, hustle culture. We also need to make ends meet. Inflation is real. Cost of living increases are real. Like we're within a system that's designed to be very difficult for us to uh, scale in in some ways, especially for folks from underrepresented communities. And so how do we reclaim some of that? When I think of my parents as immigrants to Canada, you know, staying 12 people in an apartment for their first few years as they were getting established, which we see uh, with new immigrants who are coming into this country every day, they still had incredible community. They would have friends and family friends over, like have late evenings. I remember so much laughter in my household growing up, even though it was a, a difficult uh, household with various addictions present, but like community was always a pillar good nourishment and food was always a pillar. Downtime when it was available was something that they cherished and valued. Family road trips, we would still make time for them. And that's my parents, like as new immigrants with so little working so hard. But if they could have fun, I will prioritize fun. If they could prioritize family, I can prioritize family. Um, and so that's the vicarious experience part of it too, of like, how have other people modeled behavior that you aspire to or envy? Because you're like, how do they get so much done and still have a whole ass life? There is a way for us to look at this. But again, the, there's so much research coming out of the pandemic and that is showing us that women were disproportionately impacted, had more household responsibilities, family responsibilities, and work responsibilities. We slept less. We had higher stress, higher depression, rates of alcoholism at that time um, as a coping mechanism. So we also have to be gentle with ourselves that like we are individuals within fucked up structures um, and there's only so much we can do, but I hope that we can give ourselves the best opportunity to exist within this framework and building that life that we're going to regret not having as we age. Yeah. And I think it, it kind of all starts with young leaders in the world too, because if we can model it for the people who are starting out in their careers too, then it just has this ripple effect. So you so beautifully shared your story with us and your your journey, and it completely embodies resilience in the face of adversity. So we just wanted to know how our listeners can develop more re resilience in their lives when they're dealing with difficulties, whether it's you know career, personal life, whatever it is they're going through, big and small. What advice do you have for them? My biggest advice would be to assess your life right now and figure out what supports you most need. Um, community, like I've shared, is one of the most consistent pillars across positive psychology research, organizational psychology, to say that this is what you need to thrive through hard things. Another that's undervalued is planning and organization. So there was a study done of folks who were secondarily impacted after 9-11. Um, so those folks, what actually ended up preventing some of them from getting PTSD was task-based planning, making to-do lists every day and actually checking things off, having a community of support, 
giving back and being focused on community service and impact. Again, it's taking that pain and how do I transform this into impact and power, even just for myself and my well-being? How do I make it so this doesn't stay stuck on me like molasses? How do I keep moving it so that it can actually just kind of, I can wash it off through therapy, through EMDR Mm -hmm. work, through trauma-based responses to recovery, through community support, through vicariously learning from others and how they overcame hard things through connecting Mm -hmm. to community that loves and cherishes me and family that love and cherish me. So there's key ways to build your resiliency. I call them the roots of resilience. It takes me about an hour to explain all of them to humans, but part (laughs) of them are community well-being, focusing on your well-being and improving your wellness practices, small routines to help you improve every day, but being flexible with those things based on what you're going through. Rest and recovery is so huge, a meaningful relationship to work in strong boundaries with work, self-efficacy, focusing on how do you build your belief in yourself that you can do hard and difficult things. And again, community being like a core, core tenant of all this work and planning an organization. So I know that this is a lot of things I'm riffing off, but if you could pick one of those that resonates most deeply with you, start there. And for Mm -hmm. folks from historically underrepresented communities, connecting to your heritage is actually a huge way to build resiliency. So when we look at tactics in colonization or in assimilation of cultures, the first thing is to remove language, to remove connection to culture and heritage and like um, specific traditions to those communities. So the more you reclaim those things on your terms, the stronger you become um, in your well-being and in your resiliency. And so that's something I encourage for listeners who do come from diverse backgrounds to think, what parts of my heritage can I connect to to feel stronger? So there's a number of ways to go about this, but have fun with it too. I know when we're going through difficult things, fun can feel like the furthest thing from what we want to do, but it allows your body to release. It allows you to laugh. It allows you to feel like yourself again for fleeting moments. So ask yourself too, how can I build in fun into the equation of things right now? Yeah, that's not, that's not talked about enough. I think, I think it's so easy to fall into a cycle of when you're going through something hard, you want to allow yourself to like enjoy a moment. Like I know in my life when I've gone through some grief, I'm like, I can't let any happiness in because I, this is grieving time. So there can't, but there's so much space for all of the things to happen at once. And when we open up that space, then it helps us move through it all. And the community aspect that you mentioned too, I think is really key because it helps you realize you're not alone in what you're going through. If you do open up to others and you let people in on what you're going through and maybe they're not going through the same thing but they've gone through something similar something else that they've had to overcome in their lives so it just makes you feel a sliver less alone in whatever it is you're going through 100 percent. another thing we wanted to talk to you about it reminded me of a a podcast i was listening to with um on oprah with liz gilbert and she was talking about how much she used to always do speeches and motivational you know keynotes on pursuing your purpose and your passion just relentlessly and then she realized that a lot of people don't actually know what that is and she's like I feel like an asshole because I've just been telling people to do exactly what I did this the whole time because she's like I knew since I was basically had conscious thoughts that I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to do this and I pursued it and so when you know what you want it's it's It can be easy to pursue. There's all sorts of mindset blocks and limiting beliefs that might get in your way, but you at least know the path that you want to follow. 
But I think for a lot of people, they might at their very core feel like they're destined for something more. They want to do something greater with their lives, but they don't know where to start. They're not sure what to pursue. They don't know what their path is, but they want more for themselves. For those people, what do you have any advice on, on just how to get started on that? They're not satisfied with where they're at and they want more, but they don't have a linear like, this is what I want to do and I've always known it and I'm just getting in my own way. How can they start pursuing that? So a question that I love to give folks to chew on around this concept of purpose or connection to um, like a, what we call a superordinate goal in positive psychology, it's a big goal, like our overarching goal in our life that is like our North Star that we're walking towards. So for me, it's helping folks unleash their potential and impact in the world. The how then becomes very different. The how gets to change and gets to be flexible and flow. That's what we saw for a lot of folks in the pandemic of they, if they knew their, if they had this overarching why that they could keep focusing on how their business did it shifted, or if it was a business or a nonprofit could change or whatever that looks like as the mechanism for how. So realizing that the how you do something and the what you're working towards as a big vision can be two separate things so that you feel less confined to the how of the thing. But to define the superordinate goal is really um, a series of questions you can ask yourself. One of the most important I find is what breaks your heart? And knowing that the answer to that is the folks you're most meant to serve are what breaks your heart. And you can make a list of what these things are so you can circle and see what what commonalities are and what communities you most want to serve or what areas you most want to impact. But that is a great starting point to uncovering a why or a North Star or um, a community that you most want to support. And then from there, outlining how you could best support that community. Um, a great exercise here is an ikigai, which is a Japanese framework for the uncovering the ways that you can best live your life forward. It, it talks about what could be a vocation, what is something that your most or community you're most interested in supporting. There's four different areas for you to reflect on, and then you kind of see how they converge. So this is definitely a tool I would recommend folks to check out and asking that question of what breaks your heart. This is actually something Glennon Doyle shared in one of her talks when I saw her speak in Brooklyn back in 2016 or 17, and it always stuck with me because the second half of that question that she asked was, and who are, who or what are you most jealous or envious of? Because that's how you're meant to go about serving the community you want to serve. Because often our envy of others mm. is really a reflection of the way that we most want to go about something. So if you see someone writing a book and you get jealous, you're like, well, it's because maybe you see that for your future and your jealousy yeah. is actually just a reflection to you of what you most want to bring to life in the world. And so get to doing that. Don't stay on the jealousy. Figure out that North yeah. Star. Stay yeah, connected yeah. to that. And then have your evidence of what the how is supposed to be. Oh, that's so good. Oh, yeah. I love it. The last question we love to ask our guests is what's one thing you wish you had been taught in school? Hmm. Financial literacy. I think yes. that as, not just like how to do your taxes or, um, you know, certain things around basics of business or basics of being a financially astute human, but also mindsets around money and how we as young people uh, can have a good relationship with money. Because I think whether you're a creative or someone who loves STEM more, whatever your interests are, you should know that there are people before you who have made money doing it. And so there are ways for you to make money doing it. And we live in a capitalist framework. We have to make money to survive and thrive and, and make impact in the ways that we want to. Absolutely. We could not agree more. Please share where everyone can follow you on social media, on your podcast, all your amazing resources that you have. They've helped us so much. So please let everybody know. 
Yes, you can follow me on Instagram at Komal Minhas, K-O-M-A-L-M-I-N-H-A-S. Um, I have a weekly newsletter that I love to send out. And then also if you're interested in working together through coaching or uh, my group um, intensive programs around thought leadership, uh, just shoot me a DM and I'm happy to share more with you there. Also, my fortune column just launched. So if you're looking for some business yes. strategy and advice, check me out over on fortune.com. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Oh, so awesome. That's congrats. Awesome. Thank you. I'm so proud of it. And it feels so amazing to be able to, to share insights on that platform from a more intersectional approach. Oh, that's amazing. amazing. Thank you so much. This has been such, such an inspiring conversation. I feel honestly just really more clear on like a path forward and how to find balance and all these tricky yeah. things that our listeners are wading through and that we're wading through. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. I'm Thank so you. happy to have been here. Thank you both so much. And this is how we adult. So I love this it. This is how we do it. We hope this episode helps inspire you to relentlessly pursue your full potential, to protect your well-being as you own your success, and to believe in your damn self. We'll leave you with a quote from the one and only Oprah. There is no greater gift you can give or receive than to honor your calling. It's why you were born and how you become most truly alive. That's what she said. You got this, friends. Woo! So there you have it, guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard today, it would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a comment or a rating. And we'd love it if you would share this with your friends by screenshotting the episode and sharing it on social by tagging at Teach Me How to Adult Podcast and DM us with any topics or guests you'd like to hear on the show. See you next time. Bye! Bye.